0: Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Welcome to BJ Shea's Geek Nation. I am the Reverend Infuego. Across from me is nobody because today is a very, very special broadcast. Gareth von Kallenbach, whom you know from Skewed and Reviewed, that is sknr.net, had a chance to speak with a bunch of the actors and the crew from The Boys, which is coming out very, very soon. Super excited for that, to see that on Amazon Prime. If you guys want to get a hold of us, you can do so by uh, giving us an email, bjgeeknation at gmail.com You can also find us at bjgeeknation.com where you can find all of our information and uh, social media, stuff like the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course that more. Now, I want to get right on into this because this is very, very exciting there was a chance for gareth to sit down and ask some questions to each of the cast members we picked some of the cooler questions that he was able to ask and have gone along and uh, been able to uh, put those out for everyone first up is karen Fukuhara, who plays female and also she is with Tomer capone who plays frenchy so let's get right into that one
1: it was clear in the recent episodes that there was a um I guess, frustration with uh, some communication issues between your characters. It's interesting to see that they're trying really hard to talk to one another, but they keep running into obstacles. And then he had the lettering book out, which I thought was really great. But then she got frustrated because she was trying to tell him something. And so could you discuss that a little bit, please?
2: I think with any any form of communication, when it's not working, or if it's not successful, it's a little bit frustrating, right? You're in a different country, you don't really know how to speak it, uh, speak the language, uh, you have struggles. But in Kimiko's and Frenchie's um, world, the communication failing can be fatal, and it can lead to um, uh, problems with even survival. It could be life or death. Um, It and what she's trying to communicate to Frenchie in the first few episodes is, is very important to her. Um, and not being able to say what she wants to say is really frustrating for her. Um, and it's not, it doesn't come from a place of uh, like frustrated. It's not frustrated it, Kimiko's not frustrated purely at Frenchie because she understands that it's also her own thing, her own problem um, for not being able to speak. And so it's an internal um, frustration that happens. I mean, I've felt that in so many different parts of my own life, Um, not about communication, but um, it's like, oh no, that's my fault. Like I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And so the frustration is like, uh, why don't you understand? But also, like, why can't I speak? So, yeah.
3: For me, it's uh, from Frenchie's side. I think it's, um, well, at least for the first few episodes, it's the question is, why is he kind of ignoring it, kind of putting it down? What is he trying to run from? Why is he running from anything that can confront him with uh, with himself in, in in a deeper level, he's he's definitely uh, trying to put um, something that his subconscious mind maybe thinks can uh, lit a new uh, fire. He doesn't want to be to handle with. Um, and going further with 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 the season, uh, we understand uh, that every time that Kimiko's characters. Um, Figuring something about herself and opening uh, a, a new uh, Pandora box about herself, uh, amazingly, Frenchie uh, gets an insight to his own uh, trauma and his own world and his his his. Uh It's exciting. It's exciting. It's a beautifully written line with this season for uh, the two of them.
1: So I'd like to talk to you guys about the action sequences that we've seen so far. You know, Karen, you got basically thrown through walls and all over rooftops. And then, of course, you had the boat scene and the whale. And uh, so what can you you tell us about that and filming it and perhaps what we can look forward to?
2: Oh, my goodness. You can look forward to a... Ton of blood and never before seen action scenes. Um, some led by our very own Carl Urban. I mean, he was, you know, when we first got the script and we got the whole boat sequence with the whale, um, for sure, I thought we'll have a stunt team, um, a professional boat wrangler. I don't know what they're called, (laughs) um, but. Carl was actually the one um, driving the boat the whole time. And it was so funny that uh, the first time we um, rode the boat, um, I think Carl was up in front, and then it was Tomer and Laz, and then me in the back. And uh, I thought it was just going to go kind of fast, but it was full throttle. And I cannot tell you how hard it is to look like a badass superhero Yet also be really scared as, you know, me personally, Karen. <laughs> I like, oh, oh. <laughs> but also like, oh, like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we have some amazing um, action sequences coming up. Um, one of the scenes for Kimiko is a lot of um, going, you know, season one, we had a lot of eye gouging. Uh, season two, it's, there's some like going through people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> going through people. Um, it's so funny. Everything has to be pretty precise though. So I think a lot, uh, a lot of that, you know, oh, like my arm's not in the right place. Like, oh, you got to rip this off at this angle. And, um, there's a lot going on there. Um, but yeah, you'll see a lot of, uh, really cool action scenes
0: coming up. Up next, we've got Jack Quaid who plays Wee Huey and he is with Aaron Moriarty who plays Starlight. I was curious about what
1: I see as divided loyalties in the character starlight had that situation where homelander basically says kill him or i'm going to kill you (laughs) and then of course you had mentioned your situation with bill and yet he seems to still have feelings for her and it seems like you have characters who are both questioning where they fit in and what exactly is the true mission at this point.
4: Yeah, well, that was such a cool thing to be able to explore with Aaron is that these two characters are are working together on a mission together. You know, there was there was so much left unsaid in the first season, but now all cards are on the table and they have to put their feelings for each other, positive or negative aside for now and and get the job done. But that doesn't mean that the feelings aren't still there. So mm-hmm. that was a really, I don't know that was such an interesting uh thing to to play around with uh, yeah
5: mm-hmm. yeah i think um look i think that underlying all of the hurts and and the you know the violation of trust that has occurred between these two characters is you can't take away you can't subtract those Bonding and connective moments in season one. And I think there's a reason why Annie can't shake them and has residual feelings. Um, and there's a reason why they did fall for each other is that even though Huey was lying, those, there, those moments between them were very real. So
4: mm-hmm. yeah.
5: when you come into season two and then, you know, Annie uh, Starlight is put in this position by Homelander. It's just, again, it's one of those moments. Um, sort of not dissimilar to season one in the boardroom with the deep where she is, you know, she's on a mission. And in her mind, the most important thing is to attain that mission, to be a hero and to make the world a better place. And so in season one, she just kind of acts incorrectly how is how most people would deem it, but she's just trying to stay on track season two with Huey and like, she is on the, she, she's so torn in terms of whether to obey Homelander and maintain her facade so that she can stick to this mission or, you know, hurt potentially kill this guy who she really does love. Um, and I think ultimately, um, you know, I would like to say for both of them, they're never going to be able to, they're no, I don't think they'd ever be able to physically hurt each other. Um, I think there's been too much of a bonding that mm-hmm. is unshakable, but you know, they're also two people who have a very strong sense of mission. So when they're put in situations where they're stuck in those two hard places, it's, um, it's a, an exceptionally difficult situation to navigate.
4: Yeah. I think with that moment with, uh, with Homelander kind of forcing your hand, like there, there's a little bit of acceptance from Huey of like if that's what she needs to do to stay safe, like that's what she's gotta right. do. Right. Um, yeah, that was uh especially that moment was was so was so interesting on the day. Yeah. Besides all of the blood and guts uh, just yeah. artfully decorated on everybody's faces. <laughs>
0: Now, a couple of the characters whom I thought really got some really cool stuff happening and going on and some kind of interesting uh, ways for the characters to go were both The Deep and A-Train. And Gareth had a chance to talk with Chase Crawford and Jesse T. Usher, who play those characters. You guys
1: had more outspoken, uh, I guess in some ways you could say cocky characters who have, if not hit rock bottom, seem to be facing doubt and uncertainty for the first time in their lives and how did you guys go about preparing that because that had to have been quite an adjustment from how you originally portrayed the characters
6: yeah i mean i think i think just being an actor in this industry sort of prepares you for the ups and the downs of you know that sort of a thing but uh, as far as uh you know the cocky stuff i, I you know i i i just kind of knew this character right away reading the first when i went and read redford Back before season one and read the script and really w- w- was looking forward to make fun of this, you know, kind of white privileged s- And uh, um, obviously there's some moments in there and some times for, for levity and some silly scenes that uh, that ended up working out and being being really funny, but it's uh, it's a dark place and he's a very, you know, unself-aware character. And um mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't really know too much going into it, uh, but I, you know, there was a a, you know, a bit of a rock bottom factor, and uh, I thought it was interesting. The Kripke, you know, going into the sophomore season of a show is difficult, you know, especially with season one being being a success and being as great as it was. Uh, I, I just thought it was great that he leaned into sort of the the character journeys and and sort of. Um, especially for me, I'm on I'm my own movie over there. You know what I mean? So it was fun to, to really be on my own, on my own path. And uh, I loved it, man. I had more, I even had more fun on season two if that was possible getting to, getting to delve into the character. So,
7: Yeah. Things get, things get pretty deep. Um, you know, I, I certainly didn't see it coming from, from the material that I was given in season one, the character that I was sure that I was going to play, it got deep and emotional a lot faster than I expected it to. But, you know, like Chase said, just being an actor in this industry, we kind of just see those ups and downs all the time and we're able to kind of pull from that and understand, you know, granted, this is scaled a lot higher because these guys are like the most famous people in the world, you know, they're not just celebrities, but they're also superheroes and they're idols and they're all these things. And then they kind of just see their world crumbling, but at the same time, you know, just being human, we, we, we see a lot of the characteristics in these characters and people around us, and we're able to just pull from those things and from real-life experiences and just know what it means to feel ups and downs and just apply those moments to to this wacky universe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, so I have to ask about the costumes. Uh, uh, they look fantastic <laughs> on the screen. But, Jesse, I got to think running in that thing is difficult, and Chase being doused with water all the time's definitely got to be... Uh, difficult, especially (laughs) on long shoots. So can you kind of talk about them a little bit and the pros and cons of your outfit?
7: Yeah. Well, the number one pro, like you said, is they look great. Um, You know, so putting them on every day, like, you know, on our way out of the trailer, like I feel great. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I look and feel like a superhero. But like you said, the functionality of it has been evolutionized throughout you know the shoot it's kind of started one way where it looked the best and then it just didn't work as well as it needed to and it was a matter of finding materials that you know kept the same look but maybe were lighter in weight or you know more flexible or you know just more comfortable things like that just for me personally because i'm a runner you know like a lot of a lot of times when i'm on set i'm either running in i'm running out and we just can't have stuff falling apart or we just can't have things weighing them down. Like, it's just got to look as natural as possible. So those things, they took time. You know, it was the most uncomfortable when I first started. There was a lot of unnecessary pieces <laughs> that have kind of just been reworked. And um, now I'm pretty confident in it. Like, going into season three, you know, we've been blessed to be renewed for season three. Whenever we get there, I'm sure the suit will be as supreme as it's ever been. But that that first few months was was tough you know it was a lot heavier than it looked um and not as flexible as it could have been but now now we're looking pretty good I like where we're at
6: yeah from I mean you know these we could be singing a different tune when we're having to shoot loca- <laughs> outside on locations in like the winter in Toronto we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I'm like, but the gloves the gloves for me were the funniest because like he does <laughs> Like, we became, I don't know whose choice it was. I was kind of mine and Eric. Like He always has the gloves on, you know, like the web fingers, whether he's eating or at the grocery store or texting or whatever. So that's been pretty interesting. And I've I've forgotten the gloves a few times. We had a few emergency runbacks to to, to remember the gloves. But suit's pretty good outside of sitting. Sitting, Sitting's not that, you know, not that great. And, um, you know, I'm always wearing like... Those like uh, scuba booties, basically on my feet, you know. So
2: it's,
6: yeah, I mean, you know. So I'm always in those, and it's effectively a onesie. So it's it can be pretty interesting, but uh, you do
4: feel like when you
6: put it on, you do feel you really get into the character, you know. And uh, yeah, it's funny. So. It's Mine's comfortable. I feel, I feel like Jesse's looks the most comfortable. I'm not sure if that's true, but it looks the most
7: comfortable. <laughs> it is now because, you know, the material is very stretchy and, you know, it's lightweight, so it's breathable. Yeah. So when we're inside, it feels great. But yeah. we're outside and it's windy. It's cutting straight through. I'm yeah, I, you I bet. I bet. Cutting straight through. It's
0: okay. We've got a new character now called Stormfront played by Aya Cash. And then also we've got Homelander Anthony Starr. Gareth was able to talk with them.
1: My question is uh, for both of you is that you have. I guess you could easily say the darkest of the characters we've seen so far and yet there seems to be a competition and an intense rivalry brewing between the two of you so can you talk about that a little bit about uh uh, essentially that must be quite a challenge to play characters who are so dark but yet think they're doing the right thing but now they see themselves in another character but maybe they don't see themselves, even though it's almost like a mirror image. In some
8: ways. Oh, I see where you're going. You're going in the, the little Buddhist, the little Buddhist tangent with the <laughs> reflection of self. Eh? Um, like, I think, I think play, playing a dark character uh, is it, there's so many pitfalls and there's so many ways you can, you can, uh, as I said before, get mustache twirly and arch and, uh, uh, Sometimes that's compounded by the, the, the people that you work with and and what how they receive you. You know, I've always thought, like, my take on bad guys has really got nothing to do with the, the person. Like, if you have an, a, a bad guy walks into a room, they don't have to do anything. It's always about reaction. You could have an old lady walk in the room, and if everyone goes, <gasps> then we know something about that tells the story about that old lady. So that to me is the way that you avoid uh, the mustache, curly arch thing. But it, the, the funny thing is, is when you get a character, like you said, that re- that reflects um, a lot of the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of your character coming in and, and, and negotiating that exchange, uh, one is really challenging, two is... But it's fun. It's, you know, I, I can honestly say, like, having Aya come in and thank God she's like a lovely person because that would be disastrous if she wasn't. But having someone like Aya come in that is just is such a, a great person and an open, uh, and available and talented collaborator. Like, like having someone to play hardball with, um, is crucial to, to make the dynamic of the relationship work. And I think um in all the, the light and dark places that the relationship goes well, mostly dark places that the relationship goes um I think that's a, a testament to the to our ability to be able to work together and communicate together because we like each other <laughs> oh wow that got away from me <laughs> <laughs> I uh, help.
2: Well, I think that they they have a lot of similarities, but they also have some complementary things. I actually... Uh, I think um Stormfront is actually not insecure in the way that Homelander is, which is right. interesting because they both have really big egos, which Ant has said before, you know, the the that's often a reflection of the insecurity. Stormfront is not insecure. Stormfront is very secure with herself. Um, and I think that's really attractive to Homelander because it's ego that is backed by uh by certainty in herself and and um that is I think very intriguing to him. Um, but it's also very confronting because it's so
8: fragile. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I think you're right. It's intriguing, but you know, sometimes, sometimes we're attracted to things that uh, that, uh, attracted, attracted, attraction doesn't necessarily mean, uh, the the, the conventional sense of the word attraction. You know, you I can be attracted to, uh, punching people. And that's uh, going to be a negative. Do you know what I mean? It's, it can be a very negative attraction. And I think that is what it is because as, she's very challenging to him and very threatening to him. So it's uh it's it's a uh, it's a multifaceted relationship.
0: Now, Eric Kripke is the showrunner and the producer. And Gareth actually was able to get a little in depth with him about a
1: couple of different things biggest challenges you had from a production standpoint and how challenging was it introducing the new characters into the, uh, show?
9: There were a lot of challenging production, uh, elements. I mean, it's a, it's a big show. I mean, we had to, um, you know, we had to practically build a 50 foot long whale, for instance, um, which took months and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, you know, but really, all the all the gags, like you know, we have some really big stunts and some really big moves um, this year uh, that really require an incredible amount of uh, pre-planning, and you know, uh, so really all of it, um, you know, and then uh, you know, introducing the character, the new characters. Uh, you know, Stormfront is primarily our our, our big new character. Um, and so, you know, there's just a lot of conversation about, you know, you have, first of all, you have to build the suit. I mean, so much of the show, it, it's funny of how much of this show actually just kind of comes from the suit. Uh, like our production schedule when we cast, because they, they take six months to build. So you have to cast an actor, which means you have to know what role you're creating, and 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 have a sense of who that character is and what they're doing six months before you normally would, because you just have to put them in the wardrobe and then you start creating that character very early. Um, so it starts there, and then you know you you just sort of figure out Stormfront is a character from the books, but it's a man, and and we made the character a female. And so it's just about how do you take, you know, the core elements of the character from the comics, but also adjust it to reflect what, you know, you want to say about, about the world we're living in.
1: So Eric, I'm a big fan of the music that you have in the shows. And I'm curious, uh, A, the challenges and how you go about selecting uh, which artist and where they go into the various episodes.
9: Oh yeah. I love that question. Um, the music is really, really important to me. It, it kind of is in all my shows actually. Um, you know, I really am a big believer in you go for some really big noticeable needle drops is what they're called. And, and, and you, because, you know, you really literally put the needle down <laughs> on the bucket. and, um, and, uh, and so it's a lot of conversation with my editors um, but they know my taste now, like they know that it better be probably in the world of classic rock. And, it, and, and very rarely is it recorded after, after 1983. So they know at this point, like they have their lineup of, you know, uh, Aerosmith or, you know, uh, Bad Company, or there's a lot of Billy Joel this season, because Billy Joel was really important to Huey's character. So we talked a lot about Billy Joel. Um, but you just kind of like, it's, it's a process of trial and error. You just play around with the editors and you try different songs and, and see what works best. Um, but the only thing that, you know, uh, is a certainty is that it will be in there. Um, you know, whenever the studio comes after me to trim back my music budget, I'm, I'm, I always respond by, well, actually, we're doubling it because it's really, really important to, to, to get those songs. I think those songs are timeless. That's the thing I like about putting those yep. songs in. I think they've stood the test of time mm-hmm. and it makes your work feel timeless um, because it just it makes it feel it doesn't feel like you're doing a song that's hot right now, like you're doing a song that somehow feels epic mythic and i just think it's it's all totally additive
0: one of the biggest actors right now especially for kind of bad guy roles you've seen him a lot Is giancarlo esposito you've seen him on breaking bad and better call saul and then also in the mandalorian well he is on the show coming up for this season and gareth had a chance to talk with him about his role in the boys my
1: question is around uh the confrontation your character had with Homelander, where you basically let him know exactly how things were. Would you say your character has a contempt for superheroes or he sees them as a necessary part of the corporate structure?
10: (laughs) Ha ha! What a great question. Um, I believe that my character has a a little bit of both. Um, You feel that in the scene with Homelander, a little contempt for his childlike attitude and wanting to have feel as if, first of all, his ego needs to be stroked, and then he needs to know that he is the most powerful, that the power is his. Now, obviously, Stan Edgar knows what his powers entail, but Stan is completely cool. No fear, no worry. Instead, he takes the course to ask him a question. What do you know about this big company of which you're, he says, I'm the face of Vaughn. You know, you ask some, camel jockey out in the middle of wherever his lines are out in the desert. And they're going to, they show a the picture and they're going to go Homelander. So I immediately know what he needs. He needs stardom. He needs glory. He needs power. He needs to feel like he's that guy. Stan doesn't have time to play games. This is a show that's been created. We'll see. We'll find out. We think by Vought. Stan is the face of Vought, but he's more than that as well. So he chooses a route. His route is let let me ask you a question, and your answer will tell me everything. Well, I've read all the books, but have you read the right books? And he starts to educate him on the the the, the um, origins of the company, of which we still don't know quite exactly where that comes from. But that is to allow him to to know and to think. Oh, I don't know everything, and so in a way, he reins him in in maybe slightly a paternal way with some obvious disdain. For someone who is able to wield all that power, who doesn't have the sense to get who and what he's representing.
0: Finally, we can't have an interview about the boys without Billy the Butcher and then Mother's Milk as well. Carl Urban and Laz Alonzo were able to talk with Gareth. Do you feel that your characters have almost had a reset
1: in that their priorities have been if not questioned, but adjusted? Because as he said, they were very clearly focused and now the family thing is being pushed. I would say almost more of a priority than what, where they started out.
11: You know, um, when we start off season two, we're all in the dark. We don't know, first of all, we don't know where, where Butcher is. We don't know what we're all doing. We're almost individuals. We're no longer a team. You know, Frenchie's kind of making money and trying to figure out how to get his passports. Huey is off on Quest saying he's going somewhere, but he's meeting up with Starlight, you know, discreetly, hopefully. Mother's Milk is kind of just, just leave me the fuck alone. And uh, and what we're missing is, is you know, having that, that mission. We don't have a mission anymore. You know in season 1 we had a clear mission and we had a leader a clear leader and now our leader is gone. You know and and that's that's what i felt was you know the biggest challenge firstly shooting boy scenes without carl just didn't feel right. It it felt dark. And in that first step in that episode where he comes down the steps you know, and he establishes that, you know, he's home, you know, in the, in the catchphrase. Well, I think it's going to be season two. Daddy's home. <laughs> are already all over that. You know, it 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 reunites us, you know, and gives us, you know, a, a clear we have now we have somewhere to go. now. You know, but. Now we have this internal family dynamic. That, you know, in season one, you know, Frenchie and, and Mother's Milk had their thing. But season two, it's it's all of us. I mean, we literally are all at each other's throats and, and refinding who we are as a family. Um, even to the extent where it helps the story uh, explain who we were five, ten years before that. You know, so... Uh, I I love the fact that family became the the focal point because through the dysfunction of our boy's family, we find out backstory on on all of us in season two.
1: Your characters obviously are up against superpowered individuals, but uh, as we know, you came up with a very creative way in season one to take out one of them. You guys have quite an arsenal, but yet, you're going up against people where bullets and bombs may not work. So how do you guys approach the physicality to your characters in terms of making them come across as literally viable threats to these uh, heroes they're facing?
12: Well, I think that's, you know, in the in the genius of, uh, you know, Eric Kripke's um, mind and his overall approach, you know, he his vision was he never wanted it to be like a macho man-o-mano man-o thing. Um, where the boys cannot physically actually take on the soups they just they're in the soups are in a different league, it forces them to be smarter you know and and to me that's that's really interesting and what is you know even more of a challenge is when you put in the individual character dynamics and flaws of these characters and you know some characters are unreliable some characters are unhinged some characters are completely independent and will cannot follow directions so you have this kind of dysfunctional uh, group of renegade vigilantes trying to achieve this goal and uh, the thing that I love about it, the way that it's written, is that they're always scrambling. They're always on the back foot. They're always out of their their depth. And um, season two just just takes that to the whole new level. It's here. Yeah.
11: yeah, and what I love about, uh, to to kind of feed off of that is, what I love about the boys is that it shows that you don't need powers to fight back. Yeah. And you may win. And you may lose. But as long as we're united and as long as we're together, we're a formidable formidable foe, you know, and and I think that that's what shows true bravery is when you know that you're outgunned and you're outmanned, but you do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And and that's what I love about being on this side of, of our show.
0: Now, I know that we are uh, just about uh, uh, three weeks away or so right now. It's getting closer to that September 4th date for the boys. Oh, I am so excited to see this. Major thanks to all of the actors and Eric Kripke who are able to talk with Gareth. Again, follow Gareth at Skewed and Reviewed. You can find it at sknr.net. And until next time, guys, stay nerdy.